The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the human spirit, and it's really about whether or not there is basic goodness in all people. And I've been reading this beautiful book called Buried Rivers, A Spiritual Journey into the Holocaust by Ellen Corman Maines. And I want to tell you a little bit about her background. Um, Ellen has taught mediation, meditation and other body-mind disciplines for over 40 years. She is the daughter of Polish-born Jews who survived the Holocaust and were very upset when she began practicing Buddhism at the age of 19 in 2000. Well, I'm sorry, in 2005, she had an unusual experience of spirits contacting her while she was traveling on a train in Germany. And in her memoir, uh, Buried Rivers, A Spiritual Journey into the Holocaust, she describes how she used her Buddhist training to look into the Holocaust and her own family legacy. Since 2006, she has been traveling regularly to Poland to connect with the ancestral presence that she feels there. This is an incredible book. You can find out more about her at our website at conflicthealing.com, but also at her website at buriedrivers.com. So this was an amazing book, and there's a lot of painful things in this book, I I experienced myself just reading it. What was it really like growing up knowing that your parents were Holocaust survivors? Mm. Uh, yeah, it, um, well, in a way it was just normal, you know, because when you're a child, your family is the only place you know. So you don't think of it in those terms. Uh, And at the same time, there was, I would say, an awareness of a kind of a heaviness, Mm. like there was uh, some extra baggage. And I would say there was, um, in my particular family, and every family, of course, is going to be different, but in my family, there was just a tremendous emphasis on working hard and establishing security, you know, financial security, having food on the table, um, knowing that the future was secure and building a livelihood and a home. Uh, so that was a lot of the emphasis. So there was not a lot of emotional, like fun and joy and 
you know, that kind of thing. There wasn't a lot of lightness. Mm. Um, so that's what I mean by it, it was a little bit of a, a heaviness and uh, just the sense that that this this had happened. And there was a sense of knowing, even though you, maybe you didn't know all the details, you did know. Right, right. And so, yeah, I, I was telling you before we started, my really good friend, he... Uh, his parents were in the Holocaust as little kids and were um, how they survived was really in a latrine. And, and then they ran away and they finally made it to Italy and they were just little, little kids. And, um, but they never really talked about what happened to them with their children. And I wondered if that was similar to what happened with you and why you think that all was. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty common for the parents not to talk about it um, for various reasons. One is because it's, it's painful for themselves. Um, they're trying to build a new life and sort of move away from it. Uh, so to some extent, they would sort of block it out. But um, also, I think, to protect the children, not wanting to bring up very painful things, but sort of like not really wanting you to have to know. And then in some families, of course, the opposite, there was the opposite situation where, you know, some of just talking about it incessantly. So I would say mine wasn't a total silence. So, for instance, in the ninth grade, I had to give a speech in school and I asked my mother to tell me what happened to her in the Holocaust. Mm. And we sat down and she told me what she told me. And, of course, um and in retrospect, I remember that. I remember it. I remember her willingness to talk to me. But I also remember how much she didn't, knowing what I know now, I know how much she also didn't tell me. Right. And I remember in your book, you um, you were looking, you found letters that were written to your mom after she spoke at, um, at a school and uh, thank mm, you yeah. letters. And mm. you had said in the book that you were, you know, you cried about it, you know, so partially that you were proud of her, but also that you hadn't been told some of the things that they were told. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So this was in the nineties, you know, um, maybe a couple years before she died. Mm. And, um, yeah, I just wish that I, that I had had the chance. And when my mother my mother became ill with cancer, and that's how she died. And at that time, there was the Steven uh, Spielberg the Shoah project and recording the testimonies of survivors. And I talked about it with her because I wanted her to do that. And she said, "Well, later when I'm better." Of course, she she didn't get better. Yeah, Aww. yeah. So it was and it's sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But actually, during that time, my daughter happened to be with me uh, visiting, and um, and she talked to her about it. I was too busy taking care of my mom, so she was willing uh, to talk. But you you had to, it had to the timing had to be right. Right. And, uh, it was that wasn't always easy. And and maybe your daughter asked a lot of questions that you didn't ask because you knew that, you know, in your heart that she didn't really want to tell you too many details. You know what I mean? Whereas your oh. a granddaughter might have asked more questions even than you would have. I don't know. Oh. Just Yeah, I'm not sure. Because yeah. I think that's kind of what happened with my friend's children, you know, is mm-hmm. that the, the grandchildren asked the questions more than they did because they knew that mm-hmm. was heavy. So you never yeah. know. 
it's, sometimes a little more distance helps. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you became a Buddhist, and I guess that was not something that they were happy about because they almost died for being Jews. So how did, how yeah. did that all come about? Yeah. Well, it happened, you know, not because I was looking for it, but you could say by accident. I just happened to notice uh, a talk, a lecture being given, and um, the subject sounded intriguing. It, it sounded like um, talking about our inner experience. And I think, you know, going back to what was it like growing up, um, there wasn't a kind of, there wasn't much room for expressing what your own experience was. You know, Mm. it was all kind of more, you know, get things done, be healthy, you know, say thank you, uh, eat well. You know, there's a lot of emphasis on eating and and being healthy. Survival Um, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all from love, you know, but um, the the kind of subtleties of experience were not really, you know, talked about. Mm-hmm. So when I went to this lecture by this Tibetan teacher, um, I just recognized immediately that he understood this whole realm of inner experience and how the mind worked. And the the subject of that seminar was called Passion, Aggression, and Ignorance. And it just really described how we, um, you know, we're as human beings, we're we're sort of basically insecure, and we try to make ourselves feel more secure by um, drawing to ourselves things that that seem like, you know, supportive to ourselves, and by pushing away or you know rejecting things that we don't like. And then ignoring things that, you know, don't really matter to us. So, hmm. so that resonated with you, the kind of the higher yeah. consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and not even higher consciousness, but just the accuracy. Of, of It's sort of like Buddhism. I don't see it so much of a religion as a sort of science of, life. of observation. Yeah. yeah, and observing and understanding our, our patterns and what makes us act this way or that way. Right. What are our moments? Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so um, what happened? You, you know, I had read about in your book about that you got on the German train in 2005 and uh, went back to see what was going on in Europe. What, what happened to you? Well, I was in Germany for a completely different reason. I just happened to be attending um, a, a sort of a small conference. And um, then I was heading to Paris for a few days. And it was late January, like, uh, well, not now. We're not quite there yet, but around this time of year. And um, the sky was gray. Uh, the atmosphere was kind of very cloudy, dim, overcast. Depressing. Um, I saw <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And I, what I saw at the window were like chain link fences. Somewhere I saw a smokestack. Mm. And I think just being alone and quiet by myself, aware that I was in Germany and on a train, mm-hmm. um, I started to have sort of this thought, my thoughts started to move in that direction a little bit toward the Holocaust. But then I began to sense something kind of atmospherically, and I began to feel as if there was a cloud of energy sort of hovering above me. Mm. And I thought, well, maybe this is just always here. 
you know, this is Germany, this, this event happened here. And maybe there is this sort of cloud of unresolved, um, you know, pain yeah. that is, whether it's, uh, you know, remorse or guilt or, or just suffering. Uh, I didn't know, but it was just this sort of conglomeration. It felt like a conglomeration. Hmm. And as I, as I kind of tuned into it and I thought, well, maybe that's, that's just sort of something subtly here in the background and I'm sensing it. But then it got stronger. And then I actually felt something in one sort of millisecond kind of touch me in my heart center. And it was like, like a little feather or something that went through my rib cage, mm. and and that had a kind of a a yucky feeling, quite frankly. Yeah, it was like ugh, and I didn't know what it was. Um, but I immediately didn't feel well, and so I had the sense uh, that something had happened to me on the train. Now, when I arrived in Paris, I found out that it was. That very week was the 60th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Mm. And that is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. It's the 27th of January every year. And there was a big event happening in Paris. There was a new memorial and museum that were being dedicated that week. So there was a lot of publicity about it. I had no idea that was happening. These spirits were coming back. Coincidence. Yeah. Huh. So when I when I came back uh, home, I, I was just like disoriented for the rest of my time in Europe. I felt sick. Actually, I had to see a doctor before I could fly home. Huh. And uh, when I got home, I consulted with um, a healer and uh, started being told that um that I was involved in all of this and that the spirits were sort of asking me to, to help them. Hmm. So that was the beginning of this. Uh, and I'm sort of shortening. I'm just giving a, right, a very right, brief, right. Yeah, right. It was a lot longer, but yeah. um, that's the long story short was uh, you've been doing this meditation practice and you supposedly have this belief that there is something called basic goodness, which was a term that my, my Buddhist teacher um, uh, gave us uh, or started using. And, and the message was, if you believe in basic goodness, then, you know, how did this happen to us? Right. And could, and, and, and this is, these beings are basically unable to sort of move forward because of how uh, maybe angry and, horrified they are at what happened so they they sort of lost their trust in that kind of goodness mm-hmm. and that it would be doing them a service it would help them and it could be helpful to others if i could really look into that question how can there be basic goodness and and this have happened so that was that's how my book kind of begins is with the the, the train and then this right. question and then and then eventually traveling to Poland and having quite an adventure there. Yeah. So, so when you came back and you had this heaviness and you talked to this healer, that's when you decided to travel to Poland. It took a few months for that idea to come to me, but Mm -hmm. yes, that was the, that was the inspiration to go. At first I didn't know. I felt that that was a rather 
I felt very um, grateful to be given that sort of challenge um, because I felt that it brought together, um, I no longer felt like my family or of origin and my Buddhist practice were two separate things, but now mm-hmm. it was like, oh, they were coming together. Um, but I also had no idea how I was going to do this. And it was months later that the idea popped into my head. Maybe I should go to Poland. What did your mom think of this? Did you tell my her about that experience? They had both passed away. Oh, they had already passed long away. Long before, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So when, what happened when you went to Poland? What, was there anything that surprised you or what? Yes. Well, uh, of course, I was a little timid and scared and, and nervous and not sure what to expect. And I think that's part of the, the quality of going on a journey, whether we call it a spiritual journey or just a journey. It's uh, We don't know what will happen. And, and we have a kind of extra openness because we're not in our own familiar comfort zone. Um, but very soon, um, I I went to the city where my mother was born and where her mother was born, I later found out, and where many ancestors had lived. And um, I was sitting in a, in a cafe and I was just thinking, wow, I wonder if my mother was ever here. And I began to have this sense of love and um, just these wonderful feelings as if uh, all these people were welcoming me. Mm. So yeah, this I mean was this, this the just, people that were welcoming you that were that had already passed, or was it the new the people the present day people that were welcoming you? you? Well, these were not these were not people in the flesh. So oh, okay. Was, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's what I was trying to clarify for my audience. That's what I thought yes, you meant. Yes. So I wanted to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. People yes, welcoming yes. you from the other side. Yeah. Yes, I had I had this feeling of that started with thinking of my mother and having some loving a feeling of love toward her or from her. And then this corridor of love actually opening up and Mm. it felt like a whole, you know, just an an ocean of ancestors saying, we're so glad you're here. And it just literally felt like a, a party going on. And honestly more love than I have ever experienced in my life. Did you think your mom was there too? Well, she had to have been somehow connected. Yeah. Yeah. She brought them over (laughs) to see you. Hey, look, my daughter's here. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how it works. I don't know who called who, but she was, (laughs) she was the first conduit. She was the conduit, you know, because there really was a tremendous amount of love between me and my mm, mother. Even mm. even though it was a tough relationship growing up, it was a, a very... Well, it's always uh, tough with mother-daughter yeah. anyway. Yeah. So yeah. how about the modern-day poles, the ones that were in the flesh? How, how were they? Well, um, I had um, very good experiences. Um, I traveled alone and... Um, I went into this restaurant and I was trying to figure out, you know, where is this hotel that I'm looking for? And I would just sort of go up to somebody and ask them if I, you know, I'd learned a few words of Polish, but I would ask if they could help me. I would ask if they spoke any English and people just everywhere were 
offering to help me. So I would ask directions, and this person would ask me if he could show me around the city. And, you know, that kind of... So I've had some kind of... So for me, it was actually um, uh, a tremendous sense of being um, treated very well, and in some cases, extremely uh, generously, extremely... um, magically by the people that I met. Mm. And how interesting that would have been to be where your your ancestors were and just that feeling of your mom growing up there and her mom growing up there, just kind of that history and that connection must have been really fascinating. Mm-hmm. It was. It was also like feeling like there was a part of myself that was there I don't know if that would be cellular memory or what, but right. part of myself that was sort of a reawakening from just from being there. Right. And I think from deeply recognizing the culture, just from the fact that my family uh, lived in that region, you know, for many hundreds of years. Yeah. And I want to acknowledge that, of course, you know, there was anti-Semitism and there still is anti-Semitism. And of course, um, in you know, Poland, I'm not trying to paint, in- Yes, yes. But um, I guess I think that it may be overestimated. And there are so many factors that need to be taken into account. But just directly relating my personal experience, that was not what I met mm-hmm. when I went there. Yeah. And how about in Germany? Did you, um, Germany, there's a lot of guilt still, right? I mm-hmm. mean, there's a sure. lot of guilt. There's a lot of processing, of course. There's and, a, a very heavy weight. Yeah. And yeah. It's in my book, if people read about it, yeah, I think they will. I mean, there's a, there's a lot about that and about my connection with German people as well and German friends and, and sort of working together on this issue yeah. and issues of forgiveness. So there's a lot there, I think, if, if people want to. Right. Take the time to read about it, I think. Um, yeah. So so what did you decide about basic goodness? Mm-hmm. You know, even though people like, you know, people think that the Germans were monsters, but they were regular people, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the scary part is yeah, that exactly that when you're, you know, they may look like you, they may love their children, and yet they allowed this to happen, this genocide to happen. And we see genocide happening in Rwanda and other places. We've seen it, you know, over and over and over again. So what are your thoughts about this, Mm -hmm. this basic goodness? Yeah. Well, it's something I don't like to give a kind of pat, simple answer to, because almost out of respect, for the dead and how much suffering how, uh, they experienced and and how what what humanity is really capable of doing. Yeah. But I think the point is that um, it's not like there are monsters out there and then we're the good people. I think it's that the human all human beings have the capacity to do bad things, and we have to look at the uh, you know the ways that. Um, we shirk our responsibility as individuals and go along with what's happening around us and our, because without the um, participation or at least silent um, permission of bystanders, something like a genocide cannot happen. 
Mm-hmm. So I think we, we you know, it, it's not about just saying, you know, there was this one guy, Hitler, or, you know, the, right. that these Nazis were terrible people, but rather what, what were the social situations and what can we do and how can we relate to ourselves in such a way that we create a healthier way of knowing the difference when what's around us and and, you know, let's face it, the norm is to go along with what's around us. And there was a very high value placed on obedience. Right. Uh, and respecting authority. And respecting respect the law, authority, right? Exactly. Expecting the law. And even if the law is, is right. you know, immoral. Yeah. You know. Right. And then you have people who will risk their lives to save others, you know, who right. understand that what's the difference here. So my point is that, you know, we all have that challenge and that people are generally not black or white, but we are a mixture and we have to work hard to recognize the parts of ourselves that that can uh, just fall into ignorance out of fear, you know, mainly out of fear. And I think one of the big messages in the book and in basic goodness is that we, we have to go a little deeper into our own feelings and trust the authenticity of who we are. And if we go deep enough into, into that, we will find goodness. It's just that we don't always go there. And there's this false sense that we're really separate, you know, because we're not. <laughs> and, exactly. And, and, and that's, that's the scary thing, whether, you know, whether we're talking about the, the immigrants at the, at the border, right? Or we're talking about, you know, uh, anti-Semitism or whatever, that we are all one and people forget that or they they demonize someone who's different of color or race or religion or something. There's that demonization. And, um, you know, we we even see that in our own country with the rise of of the neo-Nazis. And we see that even with you know, things that our own president says, you know, that, that, you know, you kind of go, oh, my God, you know, how could this be happening, right? Absolutely. And, and, um, you know, some of the things that I read online, you know, um, that people get involved in, in Facebook, it just terrifies me that they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're demonizing, you know, the people that are coming over the border, or they're, demonizing someone for their religion, whether they be Muslim or Jewish or whatever they are. So, um, so what should, you know, what, with your Buddhist background and, um, what should each of us be doing, especially if we've just come, you know, through a holiday season, what should we be doing in ourselves to grow so mm-hmm. that we can have influence? Yeah. Well, I think um, we need to take time to try to um, take care of ourselves. And, and in that time that we take for ourselves, do our best to, when we recognize that we have shut down and we all shut down out of stress, out of uh, maybe being horrified at what is happening in the world, um, try not to shut down and not to give up hope and uh, personally, I feel that I know that you've read parts of the book and you realize there's, there's a lot of talk of sadness in there, but it's that sadness is not the enemy, but sadness and 
allowing ourselves to really feel what's, what's in our heart, including sadness, can really open things up and allow things to move. And so not to feel like we all have to be happy, happy. So I think that uh, sadness is an important doorway, and that's part of um, owning our own emotions and relating to our own emotions even when they're not uh, the emotions we want to have because that's what I think leads to the demonization and the splitting off and the separation is because we can't deal with our own emotions. Right, And And that's that's one of the ways I like to work with with people and with groups is helping them access that. And that's just a perfect way to end is that when we, when we read your book, we feel compassion. And I think that's what we all need to do is have more compassion in this world. So we are just out of time. If you could give your website, it's just time to go. Yes, be delighted. It's BearingRivers.com. And that's the name of the book. Thank you so much for writing this book. And thank you for all the wonderful work that you're doing in the world. And we will have you back again, okay? Great. Thank you, Mari. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.